Today's episode of The Pod Has Spoken on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and LA, and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise $250,000, and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. Welcome to The Pod Has Spoken, the Ringer's Survivor Recap Podcast. I'm Riley McAtee. I'm your host, and every Thursday, I'm here on the Ringer Dish feed to recap the latest episode of Survivor. Each pod, I'm accompanied by a different Ringer staffer. Today, it is someone I know would never try to hide a hidden immunity idol while he's standing right next to me. It is Chris Ryan. My spying has evolved. Today, we are breaking down episode 12 of Winners at War. This was another really fun one. My head was spinning through most of the episode, but in a really good, good way. So yeah, I mean, let's just break it down. Let's get started. We'll start with Tribal Council, which is what we call our first segment. That's our big main reactions and takeaways. So let's jump in. I think we should just start with this tribal council in general, because it was another one of these live tribals where we get all the whispering and the chaos and the scrambling and everything. So the voting breakdown, the way it happened is Kim, Michelle, and Denise voted for Jeremy. Everybody else ended up voting for Kim. Kim goes home. So the group of Tony, Sarah, and Jeremy get basically Ben and Nick to flip back and vote for Kim. And so Kim goes home. And Chris, I mean, what do we think? What do we think? It's a great episode. It, it was a really good episode. Should we rename this season Whisperers at War? It's been this way for a few seasons, though. It's been a lot of whispering for kind of the last, I don't know, three or four years on Survivor. Yeah, I do think that the live tribal element of it has become has become pretty much like the paradigm. Like that, I, I would I now expect that to be what happens when we go to tribal for better or for worse. Personally, and I I feel like I'm sounding a little bit like Riley McAtee. That's not the way I totally feel like the game should be played. What do you think? So in general, I'm I'm pretty mixed on live tribals. I do think they're kind of they can be dramatic and tense, but a lot of times they're they just end up being confusing and unsatisfying. This one was a little bit better because at least we went into the tribal with kind of clear dividing lines and some clear targets. The one two episodes ago where it was just a complete mess, that was different for me. The other thing was in this one, we got a lot of subtitles too. So we got an idea of what people were saying to each other. And I think that's at least somewhat the fix. for Because of, of what people were bringing into tribal, and maybe it might be helpful for us to break down what people were had in their pockets there. There was actually a lot of gameplay going on within that tribal because of who knew about whose idol and also the different sort of layers to those idols. And and I, I can start us off and you can probably finish this off here. But obviously, Tony and Denise had immunity idols from the challenge from the but by being able to somehow resist peanut butter. Immunity were, necklaces. Yeah. Immunity necklaces from 
from uh, the challenge. So they, they were able to resist peanut butter. They were able to get these necklaces. Ben found an idol, which he, which he you know, skillfully almost <laughs> obscured from Tony. We can get into that later. <laughs> Anyone who's ever been caught by their dad <laughs> with, with, with like a, either a dime bag of marijuana or, or like something is like knows all about <laughs> that. So Ben had an idol and then Michelle gave Jeremy her 50-50 idol. And Tony had his own hidden immunity idol that Sarah knew about and Ben knew about. We don't know if anybody else knew about it, though it's possible. So I think actually that's the thing that really struck me is um, throughout this episode is who knows what when, because I think that was a huge element of all of this. Tony, obviously, like his idol gets flushed, but... Sarah pretty much says out loud, Tony, will you play your idol for me? So I think a lot of stuff was out in the open in that tribal. So it sort of necessitated a live tribal. That being said, I personally, my favorite part of Survivor is the moments before tribal at the beach. The the alliances, the take a walk with me, all that stuff. And I feel like that kind of gets negated a little bit by live tribals. Yeah, it, it can. At least in this one, we had Kim trying to rally the troops to blindside Tony. And then once Tony wins the immunity necklace, they're like, okay, we'll put that on the back burner. Who's the next target? They're originally like, maybe Sarah. Uh, but then they end up going with Jeremy instead, which Michelle doesn't love, but she doesn't feel like she can do anything about it except give him the 50-50 coin. And then it's actually Ben who blows up the game kind of by telling... Tony, hey, they wanted to blindside you, but now the votes are going to be on Jeremy. And Jeremy's somebody that Tony was wanting out as of, you know, one episode ago, basically. You know, Tony seemed to be on board with the Jeremy plan. It was when he found out that they were trying to blindside him that he realizes he actually needs Jeremy. And that's what gets Tony scrambling and ultimately ends up in Kim going out when Tony's effectively able to pull Ben and Nick back. And it's not clear whether he does that on the beach or at live tribal, which I guess is kind of the main question that happens with these live tribals. It's like, do they actually swing the votes or did Ben and Nick go in already knowing that they were voting for Kim and it didn't swing the votes? I think it swung them. I think Tony kind of, he created the chaos that, I don't know, allowed him to somehow pull them over to his side, but it's not, it's still not exactly clear what changed their minds. I mean, my read on that whole thing, and maybe this is wrong, is that in those moments where Tony is walking around and whispering to everyone, everybody in that tribal, with the exception of Denise, who's got the necklace, is essentially thinking, if I don't go along with Tony, he very well may turn everybody against me in this tribal. Like, within the, within the, the arena of tribal, he could literally say, Oh, well, uh, Nick didn't go along with my plan, so we're going with Nick. You know what I mean? Like, he could do that. And Jeremy might be like, if you don't vote for me, I'll vote for whoever you want to vote for. So, yeah, it's, it's, if you start to look at live tribals as a skill of their own rather than complete chaos that sort of disrupts the narrative of Survivor, I think you can sort of start to appreciate it. And it's not hard to appreciate what Tony's de- doing because, in some ways, it's unprecedented on the, on the game itself. And this live tribal, it's interesting that you talk about live tribals as a skill because I felt like this live tribal was more intentional than ones that we've typically had. Yeah, I agree. Tony starts it by talking to Jeremy and he's like, hey, Jeremy, uh, you know, who are you voting for? Are you still good with what we talked about? And Jeremy's like, yeah. 
there was never any other plan presented to us. Like, yeah, of course, Jeremy's writing down Kim. He's not writing down his own name. Unless there, I mean, there was probably other plans floated on the island, but it didn't feel like that was a spur of the moment thing. It felt like Tony was like, all right, time to shake things up. I'm going to just start talking to Jeremy. The other thing just on a TV level that uh, live tribals do is they really pull all the air out of the most cliched part of Survivor, which is people all saying they're like Bob Costasisms to Jeff. You know, like Jeff, when the chips are down and everybody's tired, that's when we find out who champions are. And, and then like, meanwhile, Tony's just like, who you voted for? <laughs> you know, it's it's it would be almost like as if like if Joe Buck was like saying all this stuff about like, we're going to find out what the Minnesota Vikings are made of. And Troy Aikman was like, they're not made of anything. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't have people like at Tribal having to be all coded and be like, well, you know, the people here need to think about who they're going to the end with, like wink, wink or whatever. You know, they can just go up to them and be like, dude, keep me. <laughs> like, yeah. Vote, vote whoever. And it's, it's more straightforward, but that's almost weird too. But then we had Jeff doing his own kind of like Bob Costas stuff. And he's, he's calling it like it was a horse race or something. He's like, oh, they're coming around the bend. And I, I kind of wonder if he'd practice that. I mean, he's probably like, all right, the next live tribal, here's what we're going to do. And he was like in the mirror, like, okay, this is what it'll be. This is the, my plan. To, like, I do wonder whether up. or not there will be some sort of discussion about the live tribals when they get back to the beach, because Denise seemed obviously pretty frustrated by it. I think that there is, you know, it, it seemed to be pushing Sarah, not to the point of quitting, but where she was almost actively saying, I wouldn't mind being on the edge just to get a break from this. I mean, she, she might have just been venting, but it, I, I do think that that kind of intensity and chaos is really suited for somebody like Tony and very few other people. Denise was interesting because I, I sort of thought... Jeremy's comment when he's like, oh, are you sure about that? You know, you're only safe for this immunity. That was like a weird kind of misstep by him. It was like, Jeremy, like Denise knows how the immunity necklace works. Like she yeah. knows what's going on here. I don't know. So I don't know. It was interesting to see her frustrations. It almost channeled the frustrations that a lot of fans have where they're like, we're sick of these live tribals, sick of all this like whispering that we can't hear and stuff. And she was just like, look, like we had a plan on the beach. Let's vote. I don't know. She probably could have used to do a little bit more whispering because she ends up on the wrong side of that vote. Yeah. And then there was an, also another interesting comment from a former player. I think it was, uh, was it Julia who said this on Twitter? Yeah, this is Julie Rosenberg who played on Edge of Extinction and she went to the final tribal council that season. She's a, a zero vote runner up finalist. And she made like an interesting observation, which is that typically at tribal council, Women sit in the front, men sit in the back. And it's a height thing. It's just you want taller people sitting behind yeah, other people. Yeah, it's like a yearbook Look, photo. Yeah. Right. You're, you're taking a photo. Um, you're, you know, filming a reality TV show. Taller people sit in the back. That tends to be men. So what that allows is it allows male players to begin whispering to each other while female players who are typically sitting in the front don't know what's going on. They have to kind of play catch up at these live travels a little bit. And it sort of fits into a trend of the last, I don't know, five or six seasons where we're seeing more male winners than female winners. We're seeing more immunity idol plays and advantages and all that stuff tends to reward big flashy games, which tend to be the games that men play as opposed to women who are a little bit more quiet. And, you know, it's just one other thing to kind of add in there that, yeah, maybe it's affecting these games. Maybe there are certain gender roles that are actually starting to like disadvantage women and sure. advantage men. Yeah, I thought, I mean, it's going to be something if this becomes a staple 
like a real, you know, when, when the next round of new players come and they're like the last few years I've been watching Survivor, this seems to be the way you play is just complete chaos and live tribals. Survivor, the game itself might have to start changing tribal a little bit for that, you know, whether or not maybe it's people sit in a semicircle or they change the way the platforms work on the stage or something, you know, you could have a higher platform for a shorter person to be able to sit in the back and they give and, and mix it up a little bit. Yeah, that'd be an easy change. I mean, if they, I don't think that Survivor will want to do this because I think they like the live tribals. I think that from a TV perspective, they're like, oh, this is dramatic and tense, even though we might not agree. But I mean, they could just make a rule like, Anything you say at tribal has to be said to the entire group. No whispering. You know, no. It's similar to like they have boats that take them to and from tribal and to and from challenges. And when they're on those boats, they're like not allowed to talk to each other, right? And there might be some, there might be some like nudging and some winking that goes on on the on you know while they're being transported. But the rule is you're not supposed to communicate. Well, you could just make a similar rule at tribal. You could just say no whispering. Yeah, I mean, look at the end of the day, the the chaos of of it all is very simply explained. The one thing that no one really seems to be able to transcend on the beach is hearing their name called. No one can get over having their name discussed. And no matter how strategic or seemingly strategic, but seemingly chaotic their gameplay is or how cool they are or how they're thinking three steps ahead, if you say someone's name and they find out, all bets are off, they're going to come after you. And I just ultimately think... As soon as Ben told Tony about the other the other sort of talk that had been going on, and Nick and and Tony caught Nick in it, that was it for Kim. And it really wasn't her fault. I thought Kim was kind of like half pushing against it. You know, they've set up this like Kim versus Tony dynamic. It seemed like Kim was playing a pretty cool and confident game. And I think as soon as Tony heard his name, it's almost something. If you were going to beat Tony, you'd it would be the thing you'd play against him is his inability to get over hearing his name. That was really... The only real error that Kim made was launching the plan about Tony almost too soon. She gave too much time for somebody to spill the beans to him and telling Ben was clearly a mistake. The other mistake was Nick not having some kind of lie. Him just turning into a puddle in front of Tony. The moment Tony asks him a question and Nick being like, oh, um, hmm, I'm trying to remember, Tony. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if your name was thrown out there or not. It's like, come on, dude. This is all winners. Nick might have been stoned from all the peanut butter, but he definitely, the move there is to immediately walk back to the beach and tell every single person, almost in public, Ben ratted us out. That could have been an easy vote, right? Like, why isn't it like Kim and Denise and Nick and Michelle and Jeremy, Jeremy and Michelle and Nick. And they just say, Ben screwed us. He screwed basically five people's games by ratting them out, giving Tony power and leverage. And they could have gotten Ben out. That is a missed opportunity. Yeah. I was really surprised that Nick did it that way because he comes back and he just tells Kim, right? And he only tells her in a kind of half-assed way. He's like, oh man, I think Ben, Ben blew us up a little bit. And and she and she doesn't even say, well, what did you say? You know, you know what I mean? Like if I'm Kim and, J- and Nick tells me that and I'm like, well, what did you tell him? And what did Ben? I would get I, I would know immediately. It's me. It's me who they're kind of come after now because Tony is going to be like a tiger with a raw steak in his cage now. Yeah. The only other slight like misplay I feel like happened here was Jeremy and the 50 50 coin. What I realized watching this episode is the way that you play the 50-50 coin is you force everybody else 
to play it. And they, they actually still have the opportunity to do this because ultimately he didn't end up using the coin. He still has it. But what you say is in the middle of tribal, you say, I have this 50-50 coin. I'm going to play it, period. So if you are voting for me, there's a 50-50 chance the votes are coming back to your alliance, basically, because I'm going to be immune. If In all this chaos and uncertainty, ultimately, he felt good enough to not play it. So perhaps it was actually the right play. But if you feel like you're going home, or you're close enough to playing it, the move is to not wait until the votes have been cast and then play it. The move is before the votes get cast, announce, announce that you have it. it. Tell everybody, make them take the 50-50 chance. And in some ways, so I don't really, I would love to know a little bit more about what Jeremy was thinking there because either he had the utmost confidence that Tony had turned tribal live against Kim or he was like 50-50 is not enough. What I couldn't figure out is I was like, 50-50 is like half an idol, obviously. Why not just play it? Otherwise, you're just going to give it back to Michelle, right? Part of me puts on like the conspiracy hat and says, maybe he was much more confident in the final vote than we were led to believe. And what he wanted to do was show everybody that he has an advantage to help protect him at future tribals. True. He didn't he kinda, say 50-50. He, did, he never he said did, what it was. He pulled it out. He did a big show of being like, ah, and it almost felt like he was overacting it a little bit. It's like, shouldn't you already know at that point as people are voting, whether you're playing it or not? He did this big kind of like, oh, I don't know. Should I play it? Should I not play it? It was almost overdone. And he doesn't say what it is. He doesn't show what it is. And then he puts it back in his pocket. And you almost might make, except I'm, I'm less into this theory, although you could make the same case that Tony did the same thing with Sarah, that he was like, okay, time to announce to everybody that I have an idol and I'm willing to play it on anyone. But that one I think was actually legit. Jeremy won. I'm more like, you know, maybe he was never going to play it, but he just wants to tell everybody he has an advantage. Right. Right. So, I mean, for you, who was the, the loser of that tribal aside from Kim who got voted out? Okay. I will say, I think that, Denise is a big loser of that tribal because she loses her one ally in Kim, the person that she was closest with in this game for sure. Even the person who voted with her, Michelle, is not actually on her side, right? They don't, the, the people on the island don't know that Michelle gave Jeremy this 50-50 coin. But I think that Michelle was sort of playing both sides there, right? It's like if Jeremy uses the coin and he's safe, then you're still good with like the Kim group because you voted correctly. And if he goes home, you're still good with the Kim group, but you obviously gave Jeremy the coin. So even if if he stays, you're good with that group too. You're obviously solid with Jeremy. So she's kind of got everything going for her. So Denise doesn't even really have Michelle. I don't know who Denise has left in this game right now. Yeah. And she's, and she's probably playing the most traditional game. Although I do think that we could probably put together a hilarious supercut. Every time somebody comes to Denise with a plan, she's like, Oh, 100%. Let's do it. Like she is like the most she always seems so like I was already thinking that this is a great idea, but it it could literally be like why don't we go drown ourselves in the ocean and she would just be like, "Totally. Let's do it. Let's make this happen." <laughs> One of the things that I've started to notice, I think it's like uh, I think it might just be an overall recent season thing is that people say 100% so yeah. often. It's like on the bachelor they say right reasons. It's na- it's the thing here is a 100%. I'm 100% with you. I have them 100%. They're 100% locked in. No one's ever 100% on anything. Stop saying you're 100 it be everybody funny if somebody was like i'm like 80 percent with you like there's a 20 yeah. percent chance i make flip. dude i'm 99 percent with you 
and then one percent I might stab you in the back. That would be great. Yeah. Speaking actually also, we talked a little bit about kind of our misplays and stuff, but let's talk about the immunity challenge a little bit because Kim stepping down off of the beam, unless she was about to fall off, I just did not understand that move. I didn't either. That that almost felt like overconfidence by Kim about the way she thought things were going to go. But I, I was dumbfounded by both Kim and, and honestly, m- more so Nick stepping off. Right. I mean, if Nick was on board with the plan to go for Tony, he's the one who gets to directly compete against Tony. Like at least with Kim, it's like, okay, if what's important to her is whether Tony wins immunity or not, because they've split it up with a, a male necklace and a female necklace for this challenge, she can't directly stop him from winning immunity. But Nick has the opportunity to, and I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I've said this before that we probably discount how miserable and starving everybody is on the island and how that can kind of play with your head and maybe make you do something. But I would just set a goal for myself if I were on Survivor, never to drop from an immunity challenge just for food or whatever. It's peanut butter and cookies. It's not worth $2 million. I was having the same conversation last night with my wife about the coconuts on extinction because, you know, at a certain point, two fire tokens, when do you start thinking about whether or not having like energy would be more important than the two tokens? Because we're getting deeper and deeper into the game and the economy is a sort of strange one where it seems entirely one way. All the tokens from the edge are going back into the game. There's nothing that no nobody's really, except for Parvati buying that peanut butter, really. And I think there was a, Tyson bought the peanut butter too. Man, peanut butter is just like cocaine out there. First of all, it's like yeah. the most valuable commodity. <laughs> Star of the season, peanut butter. Yeah. Um, and I get it. I get why. It's got a lot of protein and it fills you up. But like, I was saying to myself, like, if I was Ethan, say, on on that on the edge, I was like, I might just like be like, I'm gonna hang out at camp instead of doing this this weird, like I'm gonna go back and forth across the island 20 times a- activity. And the same thing goes for for those challenges with the immunity necklaces. I, I would definitely stay in as long as possible, especially if there are two necklaces up. But yeah, the idea of quitting when you're the last person for a sugar bomb is really strange to me. I can even understand if it was like, hey chicken or you know what i mean like i could understand if it was something that was like pure protein like come get it and i understand you know peanut butter is helpful but like uh, uh, smashing the button on the chocolate <laughs> it was just like were you six years old like you get a snickers when you get home the only the only time it makes sense i guess there's kind of two times it might make sense one is if there are a lot more people left in the game and you have no confidence that you'll be able to win whatever challenge it is like you know that you're really bad at whatever the balancing endurance challenges you're undergoing is. So it's like, all right, might as well get food and lose than just lose with nothing. Although the the flaw in that thinking is, as Tony said, a mosquito can come and bite your eyeball at any time. That could happen to anyone up there. So you could be the beneficiary of just anything going wrong. Technically, a mosquito could bite your eyeball anytime. <laughs> like you're, whether yeah. that would be painful if you were holding up your arm or not. So... I'm sure that happened. That has happened. Like it feels like Tony was speaking from experience a little bit there. Well, he'd already I just, gotten you know, crapped on by a bat, so I mean, maybe he was a little bit spooked by wildlife in this episode. And then the only other time it makes sense to me is if you need to somehow prove to an alliance that you're in that you know you're good, you feel safe with them too. Maybe it's an entire majority alliance decides, you know what, we're all stepping down because we're going to get 
whichever one of these guys like doesn't win out. But that is not how alliances work on winners at war. It's not how alliances work on a lot of seasons nowadays. That's kind of like an older tactic mm-hmm. that really would be, you know, very, very specific to what season you're on and how people are playing and just didn't apply in this case. In this case, it's like, you know, Nick gave up a 50-50 shot in an immunity necklace. Kim gave up a one in three shot. That sucks. Like, yeah, ah, man, stay up there. Yeah, you got to do it. I mean, I, I thought maybe when Nick brought up the token, he was trying to psych Tony out a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I will be really interested to maybe not rewatch this season, but go back through a lot of the crucial decisions of, of a bunch of episodes against what we finally wind up knowing about the importance of fire tokens. You know, like once we know, did fire tokens swing the entire game? Could you like pull all your fire tokens and like basically buy Tony out of the game or something? Because if it's not something significant, if it winds up just being hammocks and Chinese food and and, and whatever it winds up being, I, I think a lot of people are going to regret some of the decisions that they made around fire tokens. It, it, it also sounds like they're constantly pumping tokens into the game. So maybe you should be spending them as much as possible. And if I were Nick, you know, maybe you feel safe or something, but does Tony step down if he says to Tony, how about I'll give you both fire tokens if I get the immunity necklace? That that immunity necklace seems, at least right now, based on the values that we know, worth a hundred fire tokens. That's right? what Tony said. Basically, close. he's like, "Are you crazy? That was an immunity necklace. I'm not going to give it up for a token." Yeah, right. One token. One token's not worth anything. Yeah, totally. The, this challenge is also. I didn't love the decision to at final eight award two immunity necklaces because, as we kind of already said, uh, you know, if Kim's biggest target is Tony, suddenly she has no ability to prevent him from winning immunity, which is as important as winning immunity herself. I kind of hate that. It would have been a much more dramatic challenge if it's her versus Tony standing up there because especially at least for her at that point, she really wants Tony out that we didn't get the chance to play that. And it's just, that's a lot of immunities in the game too. It's like, there's eight people you're having two of the six immune. So, you know, 25%. I don't know. I, I just don't like it. Yeah, there's a funny thing missing from this season where I'm not missing, but I, I think in previous seasons, especially recently, there's been a lot more horse trading about uh, reward challenges, you know, like getting like basically like you won and you can pick two people and you can pick one more person. And then that winds up shattering yep. alliances and building new ones. And I feel like because we've been spending a lot of time on edge with these great X players, we haven't really seen a lot of that stuff that would have been there on a traditional game of Survivor where somebody wins something and they can bring one person or whatever. So I, I, I kind of miss that. I wonder whether or not it would also change the dynamics of the game a little bit. It's right around now where it, you might win an award challenge, uh, bring two people with you, and then that's where you make the final three deal. And it might be somewhat different than an obvious final three that exists on the island because it's a weird three people going on the reward challenge. Or maybe it's four people and you make a final four deal or whatever. Um I wonder if that's also why like peanut butter had more sway in this challenge than it should have is because we've had so few rewards. Yeah. You know, yeah, he usually has brought out a couple of plates by now. I feel like I, I, I feel like we've seen. Maybe it's because they're just they were so good at making shelter, and shelter is usually like a reward early on. Is like different elements of comfort and shelter, and I, I don't remember those coming up this season. They kind of they they were folded into some immunity challenges, which oh, right, is okay. they do they do that a lot now, and and then they also have like Wendell, seasons. who's practically like designed within reach. Right. You know, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, but I just mean like, you know, if if two days earlier, Kim had won a reward challenge where she got to go and eat like steak kebabs on a boat or something, maybe she's like, okay, I don't need peanut butter. But if it's been days and days and days mm-hmm. without any type of real food like that, then maybe that sways her more or whatever. Yeah. So it kind of has a ripple effect on the game. Granted, there the, I know of at least one reward challenge that happened on this season that wasn't aired. So maybe there's been more than one like that. Although I've only heard of one of them and it was a while ago. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I kind of, I never, I don't love reward challenges, but I do kind of miss them. I, I think it's it's just a more traditional like reality show thing where you do a like in Top Chef you do quick fire and then you do elimination. It's it, it just is a more action oriented game and with with it seems like I wonder what would have happened to this season if basically you reverse if the people on Edge were still in the game and the people in the game were on Edge would we be spending this much time on Edge? Either way, I just feel like. I don't love Edge. Like even if, even when it's the legends that are out there, like in this episode, you know, Rob falls down and and bruises his elbow and still finishes, and they kind of give that all of the dramatic flourish. And it's sort of like, really, like this isn't quite the same as the Ethan episode with the logs, which it was a similar challenge. It's like that one actually moved me. Yeah, that one was, was great. I was kind of like, this is stupid. Rob should stop running. <laughs> right. Rob knocked his elbow. Like, all right, man. Uh, yeah. You know. Uh, what do you want? Like your mom to come kiss it? Like, just, I don't know. Like, I know it sucks. And you're out there. You don't get like Advil. You don't get like Band-Aids and stuff. Okay. But I'm more concerned, especially at this point, as we get really late into the game with the players who are actually competing for $2 million, who are actually in the main game. They've got Parv, Tyson, Rob, Amber, like, you know, these incredible pl- players with incredible stories. I wonder whether or not if it was Denise, Kim, and Nick on edge, are you just kind of like, let's just let those guys sit around and we're not going to film it. That, we're not going to show that much of it. Maybe. I don't know. Because it's, you still have to show the fire tokens somehow making their way into the game and then affecting what advantages these people are going to be able to buy on the return challenge or what advantages they're able to sell to people in the game for fire tokens. So there's a lot that like just having edge forces you to show so I don't know how much like agency they have to like cut that out completely if it's going to affect the game. Because then how do you explain that somebody has like four fire tokens or whatever? Yeah, right, right. It's just like, again, it's like, oh, there's kind of too much going on. And it sort of, I don't know, messes everything up. The other thing I wanted to say about this immunity challenge. So this is like a classic immunity challenge. It's called When It Rains, It Pours. And... uh in some variation, as Jeff kind of explained, has been all the way since season three, right? They used to not have to stand on a perch and it went for like six hours. This one, it seems, went for 15 minutes um, because they've made it a lot more difficult. But they've basically, they've run this challenge in some form seven times. This was the seventh time. In the previous six times, five of the winners were women, two of which were Parvati. She's actually won it twice. Um, so it's kind of disappointing that we didn't get to see her compete on it for a third time. But that makes it even more interesting to me that here you are all the way at final eight awarding a immunity necklace to both a man and a woman in one of the few challenges where women are actually better than men. And while they've done, they've awarded two necklaces at final eight before. They did it in Cambodia, at least. It kind of just feels weird to me like it just feels like there's too much 
a, too much of an effect that the immunity necklaces are having on this game this late in the game, especially to divvy it up like that. Like, I don't know. We just see over and over again, men tend to win challenges more than women. And yet we're having seasons where men win the show more than women as well. And so on the one challenge that tends to benefit women, suddenly you're splitting it up between men and women. I don't know. It just feels icky all around to me. There's something there that I can't quite put my finger on that I don't like. Um, and I feel like it has a big impact on the game. And if it had been Kim versus Tony, it would have been a lot more compelling for me at least. Yeah. It's also really strange. Cause I feel like there's been a de-emphasis, a de-emphasis on challenges themselves this season, which I, you know, as a viewer, I think in my when I'm watching the episode is fine because what I really care about is the social game. That's better TV for me. And sometimes I'll see a challenge and just kind of be like, I wonder how long this is going to take. You know what I mean? Like, but I kind of wish they were still doing pretty creative, weird stuff that took a lot out of these people. And it, they almost seem a little bit. Um, the challenges seem a little bit offhanded this season a little bit. I mean, I think obviously the characters are so strong, so that's okay. But I agree with you. It does seem like it's reward. The, Tony winning three challenges in a row kind of means more about the game than Tony. I think they should be thinking of different challenges or thinking of different ways to challenge people rather than, than I, I, I just, Tony is not Tiger Woods to me. I, I don't understand how he's got, got a unlock like that. I used to like the challenges where they would do stuff. It would be like, okay, we're going to ask you all, you're all going to take like a survey and then we're going to ask you questions. And it would be like, who is the person that's most likely to, you know, give up a reward for peanut butter or something, give up a challenge for peanut butter or something. And then they would all have to put down who they thought was the most guest answer. And they used to do like weird stuff like that. And now it does seem a little bit more like balance this face hold your hand up, like stand on a balance beam. It's a lot of kind of the same things over and over. And I think like endurance challenges are generally better than kind of the obstacle course challenges because those ones I really think favor like certain physical types of players. But sometimes it is like, man, we've seen this challenge like 10 times. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to miss Kim. I kind of wish that their head-to-head had gone a little bit longer or at least had gone once. Her head-to-head with Tony, I mean, had gone once with Tony without an immunity necklace around his neck. By the time he was targeted, he's just been immune for the last three tribal council. But I think that she, she's an interesting one because she kind of had one of the most dominant seasons ever on one world. But that cast is like just an unbelievable cast of like ding dongs. Basically. Um, it's always been kind of the asterisk on her season. It's like everything ran through her that season, but it's also like, there was no one around who was just playing strategically or socially at any kind of level at all. Some of the people on that cast seemed to barely understand how the game worked. Um, I think she she really proved herself in Winners at War as one of the most perceptive players and one of the most impressive players ever to play. I think she really added a lot to her legacy. And that's to say she might come back too, but let's pretend like she doesn't come back. I'm already very impressed with her. Yeah, I mean, I was really impressed with Kim too. I think that Kim and Tony are a really interesting portrait of when to press down on the gas pedal and what what it looks like when you do. Tony, obviously, uh, and, and this was discussed last night in our Slack channel a lot um, among among all the Survivor fans at the Ringer. Tony obviously has hit the button, like he flipped the switch. This is playoff Tony right now. Kim, I think, did it did the same thing in her own way. It's just that her version of switch flipping, the light isn't as bright. 
You know, it's just, it's just a, it, she got into the game and she got more aggressive and she started trying to make some moves. But even in doing that, was just trying to play an almost outmoded version of this game. Yeah. I mean, she's a much more, I don't even know if I really want to call her laid back, but she does kind of take a step back and sees the board. And then she goes and kind of, kind of tries to quietly make these moves. Tony is the opposite. He like flips the board over, all the pieces go flying, and then he somehow finds a way to make it work. I don't know if we've really had anyone play like Tony ever. This is Tony's third time, right? Yes. So the first time when he won, he played hard throughout, lied about being a cop, did all the swearing on my badge stuff, right? And won. The second time, people were wise to his act, and he played hard from day one. And people were just like, we got to get Tony out of here. This is too crazy. This is out like he's burying himself in the ground, you know, or whatever. We caught him over by the well, like, and they got him out. And this third time he came out and he sat at camp for two weeks or however long it was. And he refused to go look for idols. And he was basically like kind of playing in the middle and it was a strong player. And then he was the one this season who started saying lions and hyenas, right? Yes, he's been the one who's gotten the chance to like articulate one of the main themes of the season, which is like the big threats and the little threats and the lions and hyenas and who goes after who. And it was when he started saying that that you kind of felt like something was coming, that Tony's the the Tony wave was sort of gathering and, and getting ready to crest. And we're watching an all-timer performance right now. I mean, whether or not he wins, I guess will be the ultimate referendum on whether or not it was that that great, but Every week in in our Slack, people are just like absolutely, and we're practically giving him a standing ovation at the end of these episodes. If he wins, and maybe even if he doesn't win at this point, he's kind of carving himself a spot on the Survivor Mount Rushmore that I would say has three people who are firmly there, that trio of Rob, Parvati, and Sandra. And there's not like that fourth spot is kind of like, oh, would you put like Richard Hatch there? Would you put somebody else? Uh, I think if he wins, it's clearly Tony. Even if he doesn't win, he might be in there too, just because we've never seen anybody play the game with this, like creating this much chaos and somehow managing it. You know, I thought I'm more of a new school watcher of the game. Would you compare him at all to Russell? People do. The, The main difference is Russell was mean to people. Um, He did not understand that you have to manage a jury. Russell also, I don't think that Russell did as much flip-flopping or creating of of chaos, really. I mean, they both play the game very, very hard. Um, They both have had a lot of idols. Russell's one of the all-time idol kings. But the big difference is their personalities. People like Tony. People feel like they can trust Tony and work with Tony. People worked with Russell because they were either intimidated by him or they felt like they could go to the end and win against him because he was so hated. That is not why people work with Tony. It's the the the, the thing that's elite about what Tony's doing is his gameplay is so chaotic and so whiplash inducing, yet is demanding so much respect. I mean, Rob crowning him like that was quite a torch passing moment. Yes. Yeah. It feels like it. And I don't think that like, I don't think that Kim did anything wrong, right? Like she's kind of the one person who's been able to really perceive Tony very clearly, you know, last episode, she knew that Tony wasn't really with Jeremy when he wasn't. And now maybe he is, but at the time he really wasn't with Jeremy. 
she's like kind of had her thumb on the pulse of the game or at least on Tony's game more than really anybody else. She just couldn't rally the troops in this episode and it, and it may have all flipped that tribal. I mean, she may have had the numbers and it just flipped a tribal and maybe the one thing that she didn't understand was that Ben was going to go and blab to Tony. If that doesn't happen, she probably gets her way this episode. Yeah, and then we're talking I, about we're talking about what, Kim is like one of the all-timers as well, which she might you, be. I know you want to talk about power duos in a second and I wonder whether or not the real path to getting Tony out would be Sarah. You know, whether or not you kind of have to go for Tony's the id, you know, like that second half of his brain that is Sarah, who kind of is the only thing keeping him attached to the earth right now, despite the fact that I think all signs point towards Sarah just really throwing her lot in with someone who, I mean, I don't think Tony is going to go to the final three with Sarah. If, if I'm Tony, like I, I, I feel like that's the only challenge I have. Honestly, that's the only Sarah being on that jury is the only way I don't win survivor. So that's Sarah, great. Sarah being in final three is the only way I don't win Survivor. I would not. If you're Tony, you pr- you might win in any combination, but the people you'd be most scared of are probably Sarah and Jeremy. Yeah. That's a good segue, though. Let's jump to our archetype breakdown for this episode. So today I want to break down kind of a double archetype. I'm going to call it the power duo, which is exactly what it sounds like. You know, it's two players who are very tight, you know, either a... It could be anything from a Tony and a Sarah to a Rob and an Amber. There have been a bunch of them on this season, you know, people who have been really close, people from like Parv and Michelle when they were working together, Denise and Kim until this episode, possibly Jeremy and Michelle, even if they don't vote together on this episode, are working together. But just this idea that I think there's a a shift in Survivor between big alliances to duos of people that work together. And even if it's just a one-on-one relationship, it can be really complex and weird. And so let's talk a little about Tony and Sarah. I have a, a clip that we can play here of Sarah talking about Tony and her relationship with Tony. The only person that knows I'm undercover is my partner, Sarah. It's all I mean. And nobody's coming. I mean, she? No, I can't see you at all, dude. It's golden. If we're in the real world and Tony and I were partners, one of us would be fired, okay? Tony's back to old Tony. And it's nonstop, go, go, go. And he doesn't let up. So I would just walk up the beach or something. Or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into, um, into the Coke and yeah. Coke. Okay. He's got my back and I got his back and we're not gonna turn on each other. But if he's not willing to back off a little, then he's gonna get himself voted out. Yeah, I mean, Sarah and Tony are working together. She's like, oh, you know, he's my ride or die. Obviously, he's also creating chaos. He leaves her out of the last vote before this episode um, when they blindside Sophie. It's just Sophie, weird. Sophie, who just was to, very close to Sarah. Like, yes, another another kind of power duo, duo. Yes, you could say Sophie and Sarah were very tight. I mean, my follow-up question to that clip is mostly, what would you be arrested for? <laughs> or fired uh, for? Yeah. Like, planting evidence? Or like, roughing up witnesses? Like, I, don't, I was trying to figure out exactly what she meant by that. I don't know if you've ever seen, but after his first season, Kagayan, there was a New Jersey congressional candidate who said that Tony should lose his job as a police officer because he was such a liar on the show. This clip does not help that. Literally saying, oh, we get fired. Uh, What happened? Yeah, but I, you know, in some, I I was kind of surprised this week. I know that she, she obviously flips out at Tony and is like, you ruined my game. And that's a $2 million thing. You know, you just basically cost me my game. Um, and she, I guess she has almost ultimately no one to blame but herself, but 
it seemed like it went very quickly from Sophie and Sarah kind of having this great social game at the island and, and doing fashion shows and hanging out to Sarah back in the streets with Tony flashing the badge. It was, it was a pretty abrupt 180. I was really surprised because I felt like Tony pulling off that blind side would have meant the end of his working relationship with Sarah in this game. I mean, I, I, I don't understand exactly what compels Sarah to work with somebody who just blindsided one of your closest allies, but she I'm clearly still feels that he's her best bet, bet to moving forward. Do you think that she felt like in that first conversation that they have in the dark after tribal at the beginning of this episode, that it's implicit that that idol that he has found is for her. So that was definitely interesting is that she clearly knew about the idol before that last tribal council. So he, he had told her about it beforehand because she, because he was like, Oh, I have the idol. And she's like, I understand. Um, so it wasn't new information for her. I don't know. The fact that Tony is willing to use it on her clearly like, is a testament to the level of the alliance that they have basically mm-hmm. and and how close they are. Um, and I wonder if they're close also outside of the game too. Yeah. Which definitely could smooth o- over some of our misunderstanding here about why they would get together so, so quickly. It's like, well, if you've known somebody for five years instead of a few weeks on the Island, that's a lot different. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think in general, when we look at somebody like Tony and Sarah, I feel like it's a this is a broader trend in Survivor of a move away from alliances and a move toward duos and duos that work with other duos or work with another person or whatever, but just two people working together. And the real advantage is you have kind of one-to-one communication and there's nobody on the bottom of a duo, right? You each have one vote. You each have the same number amount of power between the two of you. And so what it becomes more about instead of being like, oh, well, you know, I'm in this alliance of five. Am I the fifth person? Am I going to go out? Do I need to flip to the other alliance? In a duo, it's more about like, am I getting the credit, right? Am I the person who's just getting dragged along by this other player who's the strategic and social powerhouse? Or am I the one that if I can sit next to this person on Final Tribal, I'll still get the credit. And so that's kind of the thing with Tony and Sarah right now is I wonder when Sarah is going to think about even if she can rely on Tony. Um, even if she feel, if she feels confident in him, if you sit next to him on tribal council, he's going to get more credit for these moves than you are Absolutely. because he's more flashy. I, I mean, I don't know if the people on the in tribal heard Rob say Tony is a boss, but Tony should be voted out immediately now, like immediately. I'm sure that they they didn't hear him or like they're not supposed to hear him. I don't think he said it very loudly, but even if you don't hear that it's not a mystery that tony is winning this game playing the game yeah like yeah. in the pow- power position in this game and has the biggest most impressive resume of anybody he's pulling off all the blind sides he's got the idols he's winning three immunity necklaces in a row if you're not aware of the fact that he is number one on the totem pole in terms of jury votes um I mean, what the hell? He's clearly in the best position. The other thing that Tony is doing is mastering timing in a way that I don't think I've ever seen another player do. So the from the waiting until sunset to talk to someone move to all the live tribal chaos, um, you know, obviously like getting really lucky by being with Ben when Ben found the idol so that he's like basically got Ben. Ben's idol is essentially like 
25% his because he's sort of controlling Ben. I thought that just the way that Tony has managed tempo and like pace and just like, when do I go? When do I get involved here? Whereas like, say somebody like Rob, who was very open with his dominance. And what was that? What's the name of the move where Rob makes everybody sit around a fire all day? Buddy system. Buddy system. Like you don't, Tony is not going to employ a buddy system. Tony wants to be out in the jungle in his spy nest and, you know, looking for idols. And he also wants to be grabbing people and grabbing people and grabbing people and just creating so much chaos because obviously Tony's figured out if you do that, if you sow that much disorganization, worst case scenario is there just isn't enough people for an alliance against you. And then everything else is like in your favor. And one of the keys to to Tony's game here is that he has somebody like Sarah who can come up on his spy nest and be like, hey, it's just me. You know, you're good to climb down, go walk over the coconut grove so no one knows what you're doing over here. Um, and I wish that the spy nest hadn't been such a bust. But he kind of had something similar in Kagayan where he had Trish with him all the time. They weren't quite as close. He wasn't sharing like the the spy bunker or the um the spy shack with her but he had somebody that he could basically betray and then go back to and be like no 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 it's okay i actually did this move for you we're good i'm with you we have the numbers whatever whatever it's like tony is really good at having like one person that he's super close with that he can really rely on even if they can't always rely on him yeah and then having other people that he has kind of working relationships with that he's able to to rally votes with but are not like his ride or die absolutely yeah that's a good way of putting it but he's a player who needs a ride or die and i think a lot of players are like that i mean I, you know i think that there's a reason that we see so many like kind of one to one relationships you have like Recently, you know, Wendell and Dom on Ghost Island, you have even players who are less successful like Christian and Gabby on their season. It's just like having one person that you can count on that, you know, will feed you information is so valuable in this game. And it's more reliable than having a group of three, even or four or five or six. It's like the bigger you get, the more room you have for cracks. And I think that's why in a game that just changes so much, I feel like we're seeing more of just like two people working together in a really strong way. That's true. I also think that Tony, within that though, Tony has mastered the individual game and I keep going back to him borrowing tokens to get out of the extortion from Parv, Parvati and Natalie. And Tony's ability to buy his way out of that situation with tokens that weren't his own is going to go down as one of like the low-key moves of the season to me. And Tony is actually like the only player right now to me who seems to be using fire tokens in this fluid way. You know, he's acquiring them as barter in places. He's selling them. He's buying them. He's using debt. I mean, nobody's really doing that. Concepcion was talking about that in our Slack last night. But yeah, nobody has really mastered the tokens, which is this new element of the game the way Tony has. What an adaptable genius. That And that really speaks to like, some of the difference between him and like a Russell, for example, yeah, is that Russell, if he were to even get, you know, fire tokens in that way, he would have had to basically like 
almost intimidate people. Um, he's just so villainous. You'd be like, oh, you know, if you don't give it to me, you're like against me or something like that. Whereas Tony is really able to to use that type of thing to even like build a relationship, right? Like it seems like it's like, oh, he asked somebody for a fire token. They're like, oh, sure, Tony, you know, I like you. I want to work with you. And that just makes it more likely that they're going to work with him even more because they feel like they have this tangible connection with him where it's like, okay, we've exchanged fire tokens. We're We're like set. Yeah. So have you, have you imagined, have you, have you kind of like sketched out for yourself where you think, what do you think the final sort of importance of fire tokens will be? Like, do you think that fire tokens will be so important that we could see a situation where a Natalie or a Parvati or somebody could buy their way back into the game from edge in the finals? I think they'll get chances to buy advantages at whatever the, the final challenge is to come back. Um, kind of like they did where they didn't have to dig the sticks up out of the sand if they spent a fire token. So there could be something similar in the final challenge. I think for players who are actually in the game, it might be more advantages from the edge being sent their way that they can barter on. It might be advantages in some of the final immunity challenges. Um, we know that they can write a letter to people who are on the edge for two fire tokens. That's the one that really stood out to me when they had the menu at camp. Um, if that doesn't change, that's actually really interesting because you can basically talk directly to jurors before the final tribal council speech. So that could be useful. But I think in general, what you've been saying throughout this episode is that they aren't quite as important as people have thought that they would be throughout this season is correct. I'm interested in fire tokens coming back though, without the edge of extinction twist. And I'm interested in them tweaking what you can buy and how the economy works and what their value is because it'll be more interesting once players have a sense of what their value is too, because what we've seen this season is players totally miscalculate their value. Like a Sandra where she sells an idol for one fire token, which clearly is not what a fire token is worth. But by that same token, like if I'm, if I'm somebody like Adam, I want to accumulate or Sandra and I'm not really going to be a great challenge winner, even though I think didn't, I think Adam, Adam, Adam might've won a challenge this year, or maybe he was just on a winning team. I can't remember. But if I'm Adam who can't run, as he says, or Sandra, uh, I want to basically accumulate a lot of fire tokens because that's going to buy my safety at some point. If I'm a Tony, if I'm Wendell, if I'm Parv, even, you know, Natalie, especially. And if, if, they, if those players are still in the game, I'm spending I'm spending those because I think I can get them back in by winning challenges later in the game. Because the the other thing with fire tokens is they put a target on people's back. So I actually almost don't like that you get two fire tokens for winning an immunity necklace because it's kind of, there's been some like, oh, that person has four fire tokens. I think Denise has like six fire tokens right now. Yeah, because she's gotten a couple from people leaving. Yeah. If people realize that, that could put a target on her. And for what? You know, if these things are only going to be useful to send like notes to the edge of extinction or whatever, it's like not worth the target to even have them. You might as well just give them away. My my low-key favorite line of the of the episode was Nick being like, my pocket's a little light. <laughs> yeah, it <that> was great. <laughs> that was like right after he got caught in a in a big old lie. Too. Yeah. Hey man, my pocket's a little light. <laughs> Let's let's move on and do our superlatives. We're kind of going to run through them because I think we're running up on time here. Let's start with our best move. Chris, what was your best move of the episode? It was it was just Tony's performance at Tribal and and getting Rob's seal of approval. That seemed like a kind of pretty pretty epic moment in Survivor history to have Rob be like Tony is a boss. Tony tapping Ben's knee, like the whole performance 
just have everybody's head spinning, but ultimately gets Jeremy, gets gets Ben, gets the people he needs. Um, and and just honestly, like in, in some ways, kind of also seems to have, whether intentionally or not, kind of like decimated Sarah. Like Sarah just seems like I can't hang with this level, like this kind of gameplay. Um, I, I love Sarah. Like I, I was a I'm a big fan of hers, but I just feel like he has just made this game. He has brought the game to him rather than going to the game. Now everybody has to play like Tony and no one can play like Tony. So it's Tony at Tribal was my was my sort of big best moment. I think um I'll shout out a non-Tony move uh and say I actually think that Sarah kind of impressed me with not wanting the idol at tribal like saying out loud to everybody nope you know what i'm confident i'm not going home tonight it's okay tony you can keep the idol uh because we i mean we've seen people do that before where they'll like have a an immunity idol maybe it's the last time they can play it and they won't to kind of show to the jury like look how comfortable i am with my place in the game i'm gonna keep the idol as a souvenir i'm not even gonna play it and you know sarah could have had a free idol there she decides not to take it i think it's kind of a good move and I, I don't know. She deserves a little bit of credit for she's second banana to Tony right now, but she's also playing a pretty good game. Yeah, no, I agree. I think she's playing a good game. I just think that she she can win Survivor, but she can't win Tony Survivor. The key to her game going forward is she has to realize that at some point she has to get Tony out. Yeah, and she can't wait too long. And he he's got an immunity idol. He's on an immunity necklace run. It it's like the first opportunity you can, you got to do it. And it's got to be super, super under the radar. Cause if he gets even a hint of it, then, you know, he's got the idol and he's able to scramble like nobody else can. Let's do worse moves. I'll start on this one. I'll say that we kind of already touched it, but Ben blabbing to Tony was awful. He, he wants Jeremy out. Tony was good with the Jeremy plan. The moment he says, by the way, Kim wants you out to Tony. He blew up his own plan. And in general, Ben's play in this episode just being so anti Jeremy and seeming to take it. To, I don't even know what happened between them, but it almost seems like it's something personal. Um, and him trying to hide the idol too. It's like, he's not really playing the jury. He's showing himself to be a little bit uh, uh, like vindictive a little in a way where it's like, dude, even if you get Jeremy out there, you need his, his jury vote. I Ben's one of the players now where it's like, can I even think of a final three where he can win? I'm not even sure I can think of one. My worst move for the week, uh, and we we talked about this, is just it was was Nick not making a bigger deal of Ben's betrayal. I don't know whether that was an edit, but I just and Nick kind of being like, I'm trying to. There's going to be blood on the streets. I'm I'm coming. I'm the, like Nick's coming. And then every time he has an opportunity to do something, I feel he's like, Yeah, sure, okay, whatever. Like. If I'm Nick, I run right back to, tr- to to the camp. I gather everybody around fire and I say, this dude just betrayed us to Tony. Like it's, we've got to get him out. And I put him on front street and it's, it was just a really disappointing to him just sort of mumble something to Kim and not make a bigger deal of it. I feel like he could have opened, he could have broken the game open. Maybe the only way it might not work is if there is some kind of consensus within the tribe that maybe the person that you want to be sitting next to is Ben. So there's a lot of people who are like, well, we kind of want to drag him along. He's like our goat for this season. Um, but in general, I think he, Ben's also a player who's shown himself to be a, a unreliable and like not great to work with this season. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think that there were probably five votes to get off Ben this episode. And we never saw them come together. Let's do front runners to win. Chris, who's your front runner? 
I, I cannot bet against Tony. I, I, would, I think like, we already know. <laughs> this is like, uh, like you know, the, the Tim Duncan era Spurs. It's just the safest bet <laughs> right now. I mean, he is not at all like Tim Duncan, but it's just so hard to imagine betting against Tony in, in, this, in this final run-up. Yeah, of all the basketball <laughs> like metaphors you could have made for Tony, Tim Duncan was not the one I was expecting. No, I, 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 I guess, I guess there's a probably much more like a chaotic idea of it, but I just mean like in every, every moment that I have thought, Oh, maybe somebody can, can do something here. It just feels like Tony has a mastery of too many parts of this game right now. And also is bending the game to himself. So maybe a better, Example would be a, a, a team that just is like dictating tempo. And that's what Tony's doing right now. I totally agree. It is basically Tony's game to lose at this point. I feel like he's also in the powerful position where I don't think he needs to think as much about who he sits next to on the final tribal council. He might realize after these last two moves that he's done enough that he'll beat anybody or has a very good chance to beat anybody that he sits next to. Um, certainly if he heard that Rob calling him a boss comment, that would help as well. But the other players who I think are threats, this is basically the point where I just start thinking about jury votes, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we're, we're down to the final seven now. And I think it's Jeremy and I think it's Sarah. Their games are the most respected that what they both need to realize is they probably need to get Tony out. And it's the other players. If it's like, okay, Michelle, Denise, Nick, Ben, those are the players where they need to figure out how to get a lot of people out before they're sitting on a final three where they can win. So I would, I guess I'll say those three. It's like Tony in the pole position and then Sarah and Jeremy kind of, they have a path to how they win, but it involves, they got to get through Tony to get there. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like it has to, if, if Tony, if Sarah or Jeremy want to win, they have to go with Denise or Nick um, and maybe Ben, but Denise or Nick would be the, probably the best. I, I get the feeling at least that Jeremy has probably the most uh, friends on extinction right now. Like the most amount of people who would probably e- e- vote against maybe even Tony just because they're, I mean like Natalie likes to- Jeremy a lot. I think Tyson likes Jeremy. So there's a bunch of people there who might like Jeremy, but it's going to be pretty hard to make an argument against Tony pretty soon. If not, already. I hope we get a really, I hope we get a really strong final three. I'm always it's so much fun when you get like if we get like a Tony, Jeremy, Sarah final three or even just two of those three on there. And then it's really interesting to see who votes for who. That is so much more fascinating than when you get like Tony and if he ends up with, I don't know, like Ben and Michelle or Ben and Nick or something like that. And it's just a blowout. It's just Tony getting in this case, it'll be like 17 votes or 16 votes on the jury because it's such a, a large jury due to the edge of extinction twist. But yeah. that always falls a little flat to me. I love when you get a really, really strong final three. Me too. All right. I think that that's a good note for us to wrap it up. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Anytime, man. I love it. Thank you for listening to The Pod Has Spoken. I'm Riley McTee. That's Chris Ryan. Steve Allman is our producer for this episode. I'll be back here on the Ringer Dish feed next Thursday. We'll see you guys then. 